Good morning. Uh, Our reading this morning is going to be from Philippians chapter 1. There are lots of church Bibles around, so if you want to get one, it's on page 828. So David Winfield is going to be preaching on this um, uh, after I read it. And we're going to be reading from verse 1 to verse 26. Paul and Timothy servants of Jesus Christ, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus, the glory and praise of God. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of my brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will be in no way ashamed, but will have sufficient courage, so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you, Your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. 
May God's word be blessed with this public reading. I want to pray now for Dave as he comes to preach to us. Lord God, uh, we pray that you would open this man's mouth, that you would open our ears to hear him, that you would uh, fill him with messages that uh, are meaningful for us. Lord, we pray that he will challenge us in our lives and bring uh, to focus parts of our lives where we need to, uh, to change and to be encouraged. In your son's name we pray this. Amen. Hallelujah. Good morning. I'm blessed to think you actually want to hear me. (laughs) (laughs) Hallelujah. It's interesting to see Matt here because uh, Richard and I used to play football with your father-in-law for this church. I think we won a game. (laughs) We won a cup, actually, didn't we? We did. Hallelujah. So, welcome to the old geezer's place. (laughs) Heavenly Father, I thank you for the reading and for the prayers, but I want to add my own prayer to this. When we go home, will you please grant this, that we have heard your word. So, you promised Jeremiah that you have put your words in his mouth. I'm asking you to do the same for me, Lord, please. In Jesus' name. Amen. (coughs) You'll remember that... uh, On one occasion, Jesus went and had a meal with a Pharisee. And a woman came in, um, a woman with a poor reputation, and she poured ointment on Jesus' feet. And you'll remember that uh, the Pharisee with whom Jesus was dining was, um, was very rude about this woman. And Jesus pointed out that he who is forgiven much loves much. And that he, the Pharisee, hadn't so much as enabled Jesus to wash his feet when he came into the place. But this woman had poured out all this love and ointment upon his feet and dried them with her hair. And her story would be remembered as indeed it is being remembered today. He who is forgiven much loves much and Paul said the same thing we love him because he first loved us now some of us here have had very sinful lives which are hidden to the rest of the congregation because it was before we were Christians and we feel the love of Jesus so much because we know that he has stooped down out of heaven and bent down and put his hand into the pit and lifted us out and put our feet upon firm ground and transformed us by his spirit inside. Many of us have that experience. Paul had this experience 
in oodles. Remember, he had gone about persecuting the church. He was the one who uh, stood there and took the coats of the people who were stoning Stephen to death. He had gone out blaspheming. He had gone with a letter to Damascus because he was going to put more Christians, these terrible blasphemers, into jail. And then, on the way, you remember that he... That as amazing as that, like a crash out of heaven, <laughs> he had this extraordinary vision of the risen Jesus. Why are you persecuting me? And we know that he was then blinded by this vision and taken into Damascus. And uh, eventually Ananias came and prayed with him, Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the way, has sent me because you've been anointed to preach the good news about him. Scales fell from his eyes and he was baptised. Later, he said, he called himself the chief of sinners. And he who has been forgiven much, loves much. He devoted his whole life in obedience to God. We're told from what he wrote to the Corinthians that for the name of Jesus Christ, he suffered at the hands of bandits, and persecutors, he was beaten, he was left for dead on one occasion, he was imprisoned. Why he's writing to the Philippians, the, the earlier members of this church in Philippi would remember that he was arrested there in Philippi when he first went there. And he was beaten before he was thrown in jail and beaten without, uh, without any investigation into the cause. Paul had suffered hunger and shipwreck and all kinds of things just so that he'd go around telling people about the glory of God in Jesus Christ, that there is a saviour. He had the scars on his back to prove it. He endured all this because he loved Christ so much. For me, he said, to live is Christ. All the life that he had was due to Christ. For him to live was Christ. Remember Jesus on one occasion said that God was looking for people who would worship him in spirit and in truth. Well, Paul walked with Christ. Walked with him. So that his life wasn't a matter, I guess, wasn't a matter of getting up in the morning and going, mm, what am I going to do today? 
He got up in the morning and already he was sensitive to the Spirit of God. God was with him, God was in him. It was the Spirit of God that gave him the peace of God that he wrote about to the Romans. It was the Spirit of God that filled him with the love of God that enabled him to continue through persecutions. It was the Spirit of God that gave him the grace to persevere in all the sufferings which he experienced while he was telling people about Jesus. He lived in the power and the strength, the daily experience of the Holy Spirit, Christ he said to the Colossians, was in him the hope of glory. Christ is in him the hope of glory. Lo, Jesus said, should be the same for you and me. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Oh no, no, I am with you. Christ was with him. For him to live was Christ. remember how Nehemiah, I think it was, in the king's presence, was suddenly put on the spot by the king because he had a sad face. We just read Nehemiah, so you probably remember it. He had a sad face and he was put on the spot. He lifted up a prayer to God, didn't he? People call it an arrow prayer. That's the spirit in which Paul lived. Because for him to live was Christ. He's going around a corner and here comes another persecutor. Up goes the prayer. In the heart, the trust. My wife, in one of our churches, we were having difficulties and uh, my wife was crossing the road with, with our children and she was scared. She was on her way to something and, and the circumstances surrounding her life at the time scared her. She says that as she walked across the road, being scared, suddenly in the middle of the road, she heard this voice inside her. And it just said, trust me. Trust me. And she knew this was the voice of the Lord Jesus. And in that moment, the fear kind of fluttered and flew away. And she knew that she just trusted Jesus. In the midst of the things she was scared about, this is how Paul lived, isn't it? Trusting him. Walking with him day by day, for me to live is Christ. Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ with me. Christ first, Christ last, Christ in the middle. My life is devoted, activated, belongs to Christ. Now we know that he was writing, believe that, we know he was writing from prison. We believe he was writing from prison in Rome. He'd kind of got himself into this predicament uh, because back in Acts chapter 25, I think it is, he was appearing before a tribunal run by Festus and uh, 
his opponents were accusing him and uh, uh, an argument broke out in the tribunal and Paul said, I appeal my case to Caesar. And Festus, the governor, said, to Caesar you have appealed, to Caesar you shall go. Which is how he ended up in Rome. Now in the reading you may have noticed that he says that this had turned out his circumstances, a prisoner in Rome, under house arrest, as we learn from elsewhere in the Acts of the Apostles, under house arrest, but as a prisoner of Caesar. He said that this had turned out for his good, because even in the palace guard, the Praetorian, Praetorium guard, it was known that he was suffering for Christ. And the point is, you see, that as a prisoner of Caesar, he had to have a permanent guard awaiting for his trial before the emperor. And the permanent guard was a member of the Praetorian Guard. And if you've watched gladiators once, twice, thrice, however many times, the Praetorian Guard were the ones dressed all in black. And so long as he was awaiting his trial, in his house arrest, he was chained to whoever the guard was on duty that day. He couldn't go out without his escort, and he wasn't really allowed to go out. People could come to him, and he could carry on teaching and preaching, but he couldn't go away. He was chained Which, of course, is how the whole Praetorian Guard came to know that he was there for Jesus. Because people came and he never stopped talking about Jesus. Jesus was his life. Jesus was his life. So whoever came, whether it's members of the church or whether it's other people came with them, he talked to them about Jesus and in front of them, in front of the Praetorian Guard, so in the end, the whole of the palace guard of Nero knew about Jesus and this man who was a prisoner for Jesus. Isn't that extraordinary? But of course, he's coming up for trial. Nero is not known to be a great fancier of Christians. Whether his trial was underway or not, I don't know. But he speaks here for me to live as Christ. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labour for me. Yet what shall I choose? He doesn't yet know whether he's going to live or die as a result of his appeal to Caesar. So for him to live is Christ. What strikes me most powerfully, however, is when he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. To die is gain. Is he wishing his life away? No. Is it a death wish? No. It seems that life and death to him form a kind of continuum. 
If he dies, well, hallelujah. <laughs> hallelujah, that's going to be brilliant. But if he lives, well, hallelujah, that's fruitful occupation, isn't it, for Jesus Christ. But you, you see, there's a kind of continuum here. Most people think of life, and then they think of, oh, death. I don't want to die. But Paul puts it all in one sentence, and all, it seems, of equal significance for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He understood what Jesus taught. Whoever lives and believes in me, said Jesus, shall never die. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And another place, John chapter 5, he says, Whoever believes my words and him who sent me, my, my phrase, has skipped judgment and passed from death to life. Because when we become Christians, when Paul became a Christian, he was given the spirit of life. The spirit of Jesus Christ. I am the resurrection and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me, but by me one comes to the Father. And Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, knew that even though, even if they took his life, he passed from living for Jesus into the presence of the living Jesus. So he wasn't scared of death. And because he wasn't scared of death, and when it came, it would be a welcome thing and again, because he wasn't scared of death, he put up with all manner Of, of batterings against himself and his body. He told his followers in one of his letters, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So in this matter of um, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain, how is he imitating Christ? Well, the writer to Hebrews tells us that when Christ was on his way to the cross, he endured the cross and despised its shame for the joy that was set before him. Beyond the cross came the resurrection and the Father's satisfaction at a job well done and his own satisfaction at having brought many sons and daughters to glory with him by covering their sins by his own sacrifice. Christ went to the cross and endured it 
despised its shame because of the glory that was set before him. And Jesus had promised his disciples of where I am, I want you to be too. And this was absolutely part of Paul's mentality. It's the very gospel he was preaching. He couldn't preach the gospel and not have this as part of his own mentality. The come death, come Christ. Which is far better to be with him. Now, in a way, this bothers me. Partly as a pastor, partly that when I was ordained, the scripture that was read and preached on came from Timothy, which included the words, do the work of an evangelist. And somehow or another, when I read these words of Paul, and I see his absolute dedication and devotion to Jesus, the worst of sinners, Paul, and yet so redeemed and so thrilled with Jesus that he lived and he died for him, who was willing, even if he died, to say hallelujah. I'm just passing, it's a continuum, praise the Lord. When I read that, it bothers me as the one who's supposed to do the work of the evangelist. I'll tell you why. I hope I'm not stepping on toes here. But during... I'm going to talk about a period which some of you may have still be hurting over. Okay? We went through a coronavirus thing, didn't we? An epidemic. It lasted a long time. Every day on our daily news there was a death count wasn't there another hundred another thousand worldwide so many tens of thousands of people have succumbed to this coronavirus and have died and then we go to our local news and we'd be told that in Bristol another 500 people had gone into into hospital and another 400 people had died within the southwest. It was a daily thing that people were passing. Oh, it's... It's all right, it's Pete. It's probably about Bristol Rovers. <laughs> They're playing right now, you know. Every day there was this death count and I suppose, I can't guarantee, but I suppose almost everyone here knows of someone who died during the epidemic, whether in the family or perhaps in the company, or they know somebody who knows somebody. One of my colleagues, former colleagues, godly, godly man, died from coronavirus. The thing that troubled me was that all over the world tens of thousands of people were passing into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Tens of thousands of people every day. And I don't remember 
the churches preaching something like this. I don't remember churches saying, look, it's all happening and people are dying. Are you ready to die? Because we don't talk about being ready to die. Because we want to live. We go to the health clubs because we don't want to drop dead before we're 96. And not then, if possible. I don't remember people saying Christ died so that if you die during this terrible pandemic, you will go to be with Christ. Have you trusted in Jesus? He is a saviour for just such a time as this. Now that's my observation. If my observation is wrong and some of you are seething about it, I invite you to stand up and correct me because I think, are we going out online? No, but we might be online for the recording. So if anybody feels that I have said something there which is wrong, that I have misrepresented, I want to be corrected now for the sake of those who listen to it later. I agree, I believe that's true, what you're saying. Thank you. But you see, for Paul, who was so devoted to Christ, who gave his body over to Jesus, a body which was battered, which was actually left for dead on one occasion, who continued to worship Jesus even through the worst of times, he was able to say, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And I'm not sure how many Christians believe that anymore. Or if we believe it. Whether it's in the forefront of our understanding of life and death. And if it is, why are we not more keen to tell people to beware that death comes and then comes judgment but there is a way of passing from death to life by believing in the words of Jesus and him who sent him. That Christ died to rescue us from the consequences of our own sin so that we could come to the Father through him. So that our dying breath isn't a scared breath, but a rejoicing breath. Christ died and destroyed the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, so that he could rescue all those who through fear of death had lived their lives nervously. Speaking to Martha, or was it Mary, or was it both of them? Jesus said, I repeat, what I said earlier. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. But that wasn't the end of his statement. He then said, do you believe this? 
So, do you believe this? Come what may, I'm going to finish with a cautionary tale. This is the sting. It's the story of a Ugandan pastor. Some many years ago in Uganda, there was some terrible fighting. I think it was during the time of Idi Amin. There was some terrible slaughter and all kinds of, of, of wickedness going on in the land. And I think this testimony comes from that time. It was Easter Sunday morning and a Ugandan pastor, Kefa Sempangi, returned to his house after taking the morning service, only to run into an ambush from a gang of five killers. There were lots of gangs of killers back in that time. Only to run into an ambush from a gang of five killers. We're going to kill you, said the leader. If you have anything to say, say it before you die. Kefa began to shake. They won't need to kill me, he thought. I'm going to fall over dead. But then, as he recalls, from far away I heard a voice, and I was astonished to realise that it was my own. I don't need to plead my own cause, I heard myself saying, I'm a dead man already. My life is dead and hidden in Christ. It is your lives that are in danger. You are dead in your sins. I will pray to God that after you have killed me, he will spare you from eternal destruction. The leader stepped forward. His face had changed. Will you pray for us now? He asked. And it became a turning point because all five men later became members of Kepha's church. But hear his words again. I am a dead man already. My life is dead and hidden in Christ. If you have been baptised, you have been baptised into the death of Christ. You no longer live, but as Paul says, Christ lives in you. This was Kepha's testimony. And then he said, but I will pray to God that after you have killed me, he will spare you from eternal destruction. Because there is another death. So Jesus said, Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. Whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe that? Amen.